For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Lazio review episode, and I'm joined by a guest to help me out with that. Once again, it's been far too long since we've had him on the podcast. Gianluca, welcome back to Forza Napoli. Always a pleasure to be here. Can't wait to get into it. <laughs> yeah, you don't sound too thrilled after that loss to, <laughs> <laughs> to Lazio, but yes, that is what we are going to do. And it's always a pleasure to have you on as well. So this episode will be a little bit different because we suffered a loss, which has been a pretty rare thing for us this season. It's only our fourth defeat of the season, only our second defeat in the league. Those other two defeats weren't even that big of a deal. You know, a Champions League match where we had already clinched top spot in the group pretty much. Cremonese and the Coppa Italia was sort of disappointing, but we rotated our entire squad. So only our, kind of feels like our second real loss of the season. Matthias Vecino scored the only goal of the match. We'll talk about that goal a little bit later. But I want to start with Maurizio Sadi's approach to the match because it seems like everyone is probably correctly giving Sadi all the credit for this victory. Gianluca, it wasn't Sadi ball, but it was very effective. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, he definitely took the page out of Inter's book and just the idea of if you lock down Lobotka or you limit his options, you kind of make distribution difficult. And he parked his his wing backs, didn't really move them around and allowed uh, double teams on our wings. You know, Hisai, you would almost forget <laughs> all the bad times we had with him. But I think Sari uh, really, you know, he played the game well and, you know, it was a wonder goal. You know, without that once-in-a-lifetime goal for Vecino, I mean, this ends a draw, but I mean, it, it happens. And I think all of our losses come at a good time. So I can live with it. Yeah, I think that's sort of the general consensus. It's funny because in a way we, we can think of Spalletti's tactics as Sadi ball 2.0. I mean, Spalletti himself said in the pre-match conference that this Napoli side still has elements from Sadi's team. So I found it really ironic that we weren't actually beat by Sadi ball, but as you alluded to, we were beat by like Inzaghi ball or even Allegri ball. And that's not necessarily a criticism. In fact, depending on how you look at it, Sadi's ability to change tactics, to take a very pragmatic approach, which he's shown he's capable of doing throughout this season with how many clean sheets that Lazio have and how good they've been defensively. I mean, you can consider that a compliment. You know, Lazio often played with 11 players behind the ball, and they often played with their entire squad in their own half, but they were very compact, and that's how they took away the space. And very much like Inted, 
they protected the middle of the park. You talked about shutting down Lobotka, who's such an important part of our midfield, and that really eliminated our strength. Like I don't think we've seen another match this season where Lobotka and Gisa and Zielinski all had as little impact as they did in this one. And credit to Lazio's midfield. I mean, Vecino, Luis Alberto, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, even Chido Immobile, I thought all four of them played really well defensively. They were the top four players from either side in terms of just the distance they covered on the park. Matthias Oliveira ran the most for us. He covered 11.3 kilometers, while Immobile was the lowest of those four players at 11.5 kilometers. So Lazio just ran more than we did in total the team as a whole ran nine kilometers more than we did at least according to steady as official uh, match report so that's a testament to just how hard Lazio worked in this match offensively they didn't do a whole lot Lazio only had 35 percent of the ball but defensively I thought they worked really hard and they took away our passing lanes an interesting difference between this match and the Inter one was that when Inter took away the middle of the park they kind of forced us to use our wings and we used that width and that didn't work because Inter had these giants at center back with Skriniar, Bastoni, Echerbi to eat up those crosses that we played into the area. In this match, we resorted more to the long ball over the top to Victor and Patrick was able to slow him down. We'll come back to Patrick in a minute, but do you think perhaps we underutilized the wings against Lazio? Yeah, I think without a doubt. You know, Kvara, the the thing about him this year, like he's had his quiet games. But if you keep giving him the ball, as we all know, he could set up one of those dimes. You know, he could put in one of those crosses to the back post. That it's just, you know, pitch perfect. And I think we didn't see enough of that. I think he only had one accurate cross in the game and not many attempts, maybe less than four attempts. And honestly, with this team, just because you have Victor, you need from both wins you need at minimum three crosses a game each and two of them need to be successful in the fact that we're it's at least getting to victor or close to and then it's on him you know what happens from there the thing that sticks out to me the most when you're mentioning how they closed off the middle is further down the pitch when we were kind of approaching the the box we came in from the middle and victor laid off that beautiful pass to Zelensky and he didn't look wide, and if he would have went wide, it would have been, I think, an automatic goal. We didn't get that many chances this game, although we took a lot of shots. We didn't really have true chances, in my opinion, and I think a lot of that was just due to the fact that we, we were kind of closed off from our normal game. Most of the chances that we had were shots from distance. Our good friend Daniel Bowen tweeted that we didn't involve Lozano enough. And I completely agree. In fact, I agree with you as well. Like we didn't engage either of our wingers enough considering that Lozano and Cavada were probably two of our most informed players coming into this match. Now, granted, Hisai and Marusic both played really well. I mean, really the whole Lazio squad did defensively, but I think we would have had a lot more success crossing the ball from the wings against Patrick and Romagnoli than we did against Inter. I mean, Patrick was only playing because Casale was suspended. Romagnoli just came back from injury. So I would have liked to see us at least test those guys out and, and give Victor a chance in the air. I mentioned Patrick slowing down Osiman. He did that with his physical play. He basically body checked Victor every time we played the ball long to him. 
He was shown a yellow card in the 21st minute after Immobile played the ball straight back to Osimen in the Lazio half. He made a couple of other tackles that were pretty similar to that after the yellow card. Do you think Lazio were fortunate that Patrick wasn't sent off in this match? I mean, it's tough, right? Because uh, roles reversed. If you know, if that's one of my players, the first yellow card is undoubtable. You know, there's no defending it. He took Victor out off that uh, that bad pass from Immobile, like you said, and that's always going to be yellow. The fouls following, it's tough for me, and it's also funny. I, I feel like the foul where he shouldered Victor in the face, right in the mask, and you know, all of our hearts skipped a beat practically. <laughs> That was a moment where if he didn't get that yellow card earlier in the game, it probably would have been a yellow card then. And in those moments, that's where like steady up frustrates me because that to me was a yellow card offense. It does not matter if he's already on a yellow. It does not take away from the severity of the foul and the fact that it, it is a yellow card foul. So I thought he should have gotten the red there. I mean, some people might call that a soft call, but uh, to me, I think it's just, you know, the right call. There's a lot of times where something isn't intentional, but because of the, the severity of it or the nature of the foul, whether it's an elbow or shoulder, it should be a yellow. So uh, I thought that was definitely something that was missed. And playing in the Maradona, it, you know, not that you should get anything playing at home, but, you know, there's always a, that home side, like, you know, you get the calls. Uh, I thought that was something that was missed. If that happened right after the yellow card, you might say, okay, well, he just got a yellow. There maybe haven't been enough additional fouls. But there was one other one as well around the half hour mark, 32nd minute, where it seemed like he just obstructed Victor and to stop him. And so he wasn't given a yellow there. Then you had that one that you mentioned with the shoulder to the face. And what got me with that one is that just the way he went up for the ball seemed very reckless. It was almost like he wasn't even playing the ball. He was just kind of flailing up there. And so for me, I thought we were a little unlucky that he didn't get a second yellow there, but I completely agree with you that it's one of those things where he probably would have gotten the yellow if he wasn't already on one. That said, I'm not making (laughs) excuses for Napoli. I think we really struggled to break Lazio down. Other than that one double chance that we had late in the match where Osiman hit the bar and then Provedal made that incredible save on Kim, we really struggled to create chances. And there's a reason why Lazio and Provedal have more clean sheets than any other club or any other goalkeeper in the league. Lazio held us to our lowest XG all season, although... I didn't think it was entirely down to Lazio's strong defensive play. That was obviously a big part of it. But like against Inted, I, I thought we seemed just a little bit off. Maybe mm-hmm. you know, our passes were a little bit slower. Our positioning wasn't always that great. Spalletti touched on that in his post-match conference as well. And you mentioned this a little bit earlier where he noted that we didn't make the best choices. I, there, for me, there were three occasions in particular that stood out. And not just to me, but to a lot of Napoli fans, because a lot of fans were talking about this. The first was in the 51st minute when Matthias Oliveira seemed to have a free shot at goal. And I don't know if he just did not feel comfortable shooting with his weaker right foot, but he (laughs) just waited and waited and waited. And eventually he gave the ball to Victor and his shot was blocked. The second was the one that you mentioned, probably the most egregious in the 58th minute, where Osiman played that clever flick to Zielinski. And... I feel like had he looked up, then he would have seen Cavada open, but he put his head down and put his foot through the ball and it just bounced wide of the mark. 
And then finally, in the 76th minute, Lobotka dribbled out of the back before playing the ball to Elmas into space, and he carried it to the edge of the area. He had Politano wide open on his right, but he went for goal and completely missed the target. Not Elmas's best performance of the season, that's for sure. I was a little bit less offended by that decision only because I have so little confidence in Politano now that <laughs> I don't feel like he would have done much with it, even if Elmas gave him the ball there. <laughs> Politano um, can only only scores goals if the game is already over. If we're one, winning, exactly. then he'll score. Yeah, he yeah, even so. too he took he took a shot that maybe I felt like he shouldn't have at the at the end of the game. That was at the boring. very end of the game. Yeah. I don't know who passed it to him. It might have been Di Lorenzo, but he crossed over to the middle, and I felt like it was a ball that he could have did just a slight lob, and mm-hmm. you know he went for the shot and it was by. I mean, but you know what's coming with him every time. That's the thing. Like I feel like we see that at least once a match when Politano plays, and it's because he's become so predictable now, right? That the defenders all know he's going to cut in on his left and he's going to try to curl it or, or shoot towards the near post. So they block a lot of his shots and you almost wish that, okay, every once in a while, just cut back to your right foot just to keep people honest. Or like you said, play across. So yeah, I wasn't terribly confident that Politano would make much of the ball. If LMS gave it to him there. Um, we also missed the target on a couple of free kicks. I've been reluctant to bring this up because we've scored goals in so many different ways and we just kept on winning. So it wasn't really a big deal, but I feel like we really don't have any players anymore who can take a direct free kick. Yeah, it's something, right? Like we've had our struggles with set pieces and the dead ball, you know, for a while. And now I think we're good from a sense of when we're putting a cross in or if we're playing some type of play. But when it's direct, we have nothing. Our direct free kick situation is even more of a crapshoot than our, our penalty kick situation in the sense of there's no real true idea of what to do. Like now we've just fallen into a place with penalties where it's like, all right, Va is going to take it. But with the free kicks, I don't know. We did this, uh, this little play with Victor two times in the, in like the last two games. And I can't make sense of it. The only person that I could see on this team in the eleven. That could take free kicks is, you know, I guess Mario Rui, you know, you'd never say or think like, oh, I wish we had him to just take the free kick, a direct free kick, but he's not that bad at them. And I think Raspadori is a free kick taker, but he's not a, a starter. So it's tough to say. I mean, you would hope Kavada, just based on his technical ability, how well he is at shooting and crossing the ball, that free kicks can be his thing but we don't really have an answer for free kicks and we're not much of a threat based on the last two that we've had where I've seen, you know, Victor take them. I I don't like them at all. Yeah. Speaking of Mario Rui, apparently we need to play him every match because all four (laughs) matches we've lost this season, he was on the bench, even the draw to Lecce, he was on the bench. So the only game that he played where we dropped points was the draw to Fiorentina, which is pretty funny, although that's his own doing the red card. It has to be said about Mario Rui, you can't, you know, because yeah. as, as much as it's, uh, you know, a funny stat, it's, it's there's some truth to it. Not that uh, we've lost every game with Oliveira, but the games we have lost, we didn't have Rui. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just science. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that, that free kick routine with the Osimen is is really dreadful. I mean, it, it just seems so obvious because 
if he's standing that far away, <laughs> like you're clearly not going to cross the ball into the area. So it's, yeah, you know, come just, on, this guy, even if you're shooting the ball, this guy is uh, on the rebound. He's an automatic finisher. You know, you yeah. should just have him in the box. It's funny when he lined up uh, for this match against Lazio and I saw him there and I'm like, they're not going to do this again, are they? <laughs> and sure as sure shit, they, they pulled it. And I was like, what the hell? Like, you know, not that he doesn't have a bad shot, but the guy rarely shoots from far out. That's yeah. like the one thing that people are like, oh, he doesn't have much of a far shot. Even though it's not all that bad, I, I don't want him taking free kicks. I think also just because of his physique, it just looks so awkward even when he's yeah. taking a penalty kick, right? Cavada took one in the second half where, to your point, like his technique is far better. I mean, you mentioned Mario Rui. I think Cavada needs to be the guy that takes him. Yeah, he, mm. maybe he's not going to be as successful as some other players that we've had in the past, but at least he has that technique. At the same time, though, I think most Napoli fans would probably take that trade off. Like we lost Mertens, we lost Insigne, and our our ability to score from a direct free kick has dropped dramatically, but we have a 15-point lead with 13 matches left to play. So I think that's a trade-off. Oh, yeah. and plus with. 42 goal differential, too. Like, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, scoring's not really... We're living in luxury. It's a great point because what that shows is that we don't depend on free kicks, so who cares? Yeah, fine, maybe in a match like this, it might have won us the match, but you know, we win in so many different ways. We score goals in so many different ways that that's just, even the penalty kicks, like we have a pretty low success rate there, but we just typically score so many goals that it's not really an issue. Yeah. Between the loss to Inted and now this loss to Lazio, are you concerned that there's a bit of a blueprint on how to beat Napoli? I mean, listen... Every team has a, a kryptonite, right? There's always a way to, to stop a team. But at the end of the day, we're getting to the, the nitty-gritty, right? Like, there aren't unlimited match days left. You know, we're, we're coming down to the, the end. You know, we got a few months left. Not every team is going to be able to play for the game that Saudi played. That was a wonder goal. Granted, Vicino had a game of his life. He almost had a wonderful header early in the match that Di Lorenzo had an even more beautiful save of and then the goal itself but you know you can't risk playing like this against Napoli you know why if you mess up we're gonna bite you and then once there's blood in the water you can't continue to play that way and then there's more space for us and then we have more fun and to your point I know this is something that was mentioned on one of your last episodes but you can't play this game in the Champions League you can't afford to so as much as there could be the blueprint to how to stop us, you can't play for a draw in Champions League. You really want to go all the way to penalties and put it at risk. I mean, that would be a real sweaty one for us just <laughs> based on the situation with penalties that we just talked about. But I'm not so worried. You know, losing to Inter in Milan and losing to Lazio, even if it's in the Maradona, one nothing. Our two losses in the season are one nothing. So... I can live with that. You know, if we're talking about meltdown games, things like that, different case, you know, different story. But all things considered, I can live with it. It wasn't our best game, but just look at the dominance that we had. They got lucky, you know, with this beautiful goal. You know, there's nothing you can do about those things sometimes. But I can live with these losses. It's um, 
it's the losses from years past that I have issues with. And I can't lie, like, you know, like, uh, th I guess there's something just like innate built into us that, you know, when we did lose this game, I'm like looking at the table, I'm like, I mean, we, we have so many games in hand. And it's like, it's not impossible, though, to lose <laughs> so many games. But the way this team is, the way the Spalletti has them, I, I just, I feel good. So, you know, it, I don't want to lose any games, but losing to Liverpool, Inter, and Matteo, granted, you know, you have Cremonese in the mix, whatever wild card. You can't look at those and be like, my God, these games. Like, so it, it's okay for me as much as I, I don't want to lose. These are games you could live with. Yeah, we're just guards, so that insecurity starts to creep in from past <laughs> seasons. But I'm not particularly concerned either. I mean, after the loss to Inter, we responded with eight consecutive victories. So if that's a trend to go by, then we're only going to lose one more match before the end of the season, maybe two. <laughs> Granted, we've had a fairly easy schedule since the loss to Inter, but that's the benefit of having such a large lead at the top of the table. I mean, with such a big gap, you can afford to drop a match here or there, and it's not really going to change much. It's definitely too early to get concerned. If we lose to Atalanta and Inter win again, then I might start feeling a little bit nervous with a 12-point lead. But to your point, both Inter and Lazio beat us 1-0, and both of them had to have their best game of the season to get that 1-0 victory. I mean, Inter probably should have scored more against us, particularly with the chances they had in the first half of that match. But Lazio needed this wonder strike from Vecino to beat us. You mentioned the other clearance in the first half that Di Lorenzo made. That would have been also a miracle goal if that went in, like the way he headed that ball yeah. kind of backwards. But Lazio's XG in this match was 0.2. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> they created almost nothing. Like they they really relied on on almost pure luck. I mean, a perfect hit. He'll never, ever score a goal like that in his lifetime. That's a fact. <laughs> More science. This is a very scientific yeah. um, and, and it also tells you that we were pretty solid defensively. So, you know, I completely agree with Spalletti after the match that a draw was probably the fair result. Cavada was the player who played the ball straight to Vecino on that goal. You know, yeah. how do you feel about that? Like, or should I not overreact to that? So, I don't think you should overreact, right? I watched the extended highlights again before uh, I hopped on with you. And watching it again, I had similar reaction live, obviously not as emotional, but I was just thinking to myself, you know, you could see how close Labotka... Zielinski and Rachmani, I believe, are. And you almost wonder, why is he doing such an extended header there? And granted, it's, you know, snap reflexes, and the ball was probably at the furthest most point that he could reach, a jumping full extension. You'd like to see a better, I guess, placement there as a header, whether it would just been a touch or whatever, but I don't think you could say, oh, my God, because... Granted, nine times out of ten, Cavada could set up Vecino, and that ball is going to the moon. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it is what it is. But he seems like one of the players that, like, maybe you don't have to worry about him making uh, so many bad habits. So I I'm okay with it. I'm not going to sit here and crucify this kid that's been amazing this year. He gave an yeah, assist to another really player. It is what it is. This guy is just an assist man. <laughs> yeah, and... He also seems like a guy that himself is not impacted or affected mentally too much by these types of things. He just kind of rolls on and keeps going. 
I thought the exact same thing when I watched it again as well because those players were open and I think maybe he gambled a little bit just because he's so confident in his own abilities. Like I think it would be a little naive to presume that he didn't know the safe play was to just head the ball towards the touchline. I think he could have done that if he wanted, but he was probably trying to head the ball to Lobotka, Zelensky, or Rachmani and try to start maybe a break the other way, and he just hit the ball a little bit too full. Last question before we close with a couple of off-the-pitch matters. Who was your man of the match, and why was it Kareem Zadadka? <laughs> <laughs> It's actually great. <laughs> Honestly, it's really tough to put a man on the match in this game because I wasn't happy with anyone. To be completely honest, even though we lost this game, I, I would have to look at the defense. I don't think that Rachmani played bad at all. I don't think Lorenzo played bad at all. But I think, you know, I, I feel like it's a common theme, but it's hard to look the other way from Kim. You know, it's tough. I liked how Rachmani played, though. Like, I don't think that he did all that bad in this match. He could have had a better game, but I, I think honestly, it was more, it was more Kim. He just has consistency. You don't see so many mistakes from him, even if he's not, you know, the best player on on the field. But I thought he had a great game. You know, if we're saying who I think the best player was for us, but. I think overall, I think I guess you just got to say uh, Vecino is the best player on the field. Scored that a beautiful goal, and he also played well. You know, he was much more of an impact to the game than Laboka was, regardless of the goal. So, you know, I guess I would say he was probably the most informed that game. But I thought Kim had a good one. Yeah, Vecino was was very good defensively as well. It wasn't just the offensive contributions. Rachmani has been amazing lately. I mean, he had a couple shaky matches after he came back from that long injury break, but he's right back to his top form. He's been playing amazing. For me, Kim is almost always the man of the match. I mean, <laughs> there was one play. I can't remember if it was Immobile or Felipe Anderson, maybe, but it looked like the Lazio forward got behind Kim and then he just hit the NOS and <laughs> caught up and, and played the ball back to Medet and, and like it's nothing incredible. came of it. I'll be honest. The only reason I asked the question was because I wanted to make the Zadatka joke, but uh, <laughs> you know, that was a bit of a bizarre substitution in a one nil game. You would expect someone like maybe Zerbin or Gaetano to come on in that situation. I feel like Spalletti wanted to give him some playing time at some point in the season, but I couldn't help but think that there's going to be more opportunities later in the season. Maybe if we've clinched, you could play him the full 90 minutes if you want to uh, when there's left at stake. Mind you, Spalletti wasn't the only coach to make an odd substitution this round. Stefano Pioli, down 1-0 to Fiorentina, brought Tiamoe Bakayoko off the bench, so... I think he even beat. <laughs> I think he beats Paletti with that one. Uh, but in all seriousness, congrats to Zadadka on his first Serie appearance. I, there, he got a lot of love on Instagram from other players, and and so that was that was a nice little thing. Okay, there's two off the field matters that I want to touch on. The first was the traveling Lazio fans who somehow got into the stadium with paper bombs which we heard going off throughout the match. I was wondering, like, at some point, you know, where, what, what are these sounds? Because we don't normally hear these things for Napoli home matches. 
Apparently, they were throwing them into the Napoli fan sections nearby, and one of them sent a child to the hospital after a paper bomb exploded in his hands. What do you make of this whole situation? I mean, it's just at this point where we are, it's, you know, it's 2023. It's sad because, you know, you don't want to hear kids getting hurt anytime, right? Like soccer at the end of the day is pure enjoyment, pure joy. Granted, there's stress involved in results, but the fact that people can be, you know, having to go to the hospital or anything like that at this point, it's just... These people aren't showing up for the sport. They're not showing up for the game. They're showing up to cause trouble. It's unfortunate, you know, we all know how sad and somewhat outdated security systems are in Italy getting into these stadiums. You know, they'll stop our fans from bringing, um, you know, banners in. They'll even stop DiCoprio from bringing his camera in. But... Away fans can get in with paper bombs that are used to attempt to harm our home fans. They have all these movements to stop piracy, to stop all these other things. But the thing that remains, unfortunately, for Serie A, the league that you know we hold closest to our heart, is that the true issues are never really addressed and never really fixed. And you know, you just hope that these things you stop hearing about these things because it, it's just getting. It's getting to the point where it's embarrassing, right? You don't want to have to explain this to anyone that's not a fan of the league. You know, it's just not a topic you like to hear about. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I'm hoping that just judging from the lack of reporting on this, that the child was okay. I mean, the reports on match day were that he wasn't seriously hurt and they were checking his limbs, which sounded a bit odd to me, but I suspect that means he was taken to hospital just for precautionary reasons. A lot of Napoli fans are eager to see what the punishment will be doled out by the sports judge. Of course, residents of Campania and Rome fans are banned from attending away matches or they were for two months after the incident on the 8-1 so we'll see if the same punishment will be handed out to Lazio fans. I don't know why, but I have a funny feeling that the punishment won't be so severe. The crazy thing to me is, as you said, Napoli fans were not permitted to bring flags into the stadium, presumably for fear that the flags would be used as weapons and brawls with these Lazio fans, yet somehow they were able to get in with paper bombs. And it seems like it's probably something that's worth investigating, but in typical Italian fashion, I'm guessing that's not going to happen. If anything, I bet you they're going to take those resources to try to figure out what exactly the linesman said to Jose Mourinho in the Cremonese-Roma match rather than investigating how the hell someone got into stadiums with bombs. Paper bombs, fine, but it's just so ridiculous. And yeah, I hate to say it, but it it just seems so stereotypical Italian, uh, especially when it comes to football matches. Okay, the last thing I want to get your thoughts on, which is sort of hot off the press because we're recording on Monday and uh, Victor Osiman was given an award by the Foreign Press of Italy, a sports award, and he and De Laurentiis did a bit of a press conference after the award and he was asked about whether he wants to play in the Premier League And Victor said that he's working hard to play in the Premier League one day. Reactions to those comments have been fairly mixed. Some people don't seem to have a problem with them. Others were 
not too fond of them, particularly given the timing. You know, we're in the midst of a title race on the verge of winning our first title in over 30 years. Which side of the fence do you fall on on these comments from Osiman? You know, I'm not going to attack him for it. I mean, maybe not the best timing considering, you know, title race and everything. But, you know, I think he's mentally strong. So even if people take it out of context and run with it, he'll be all right. He'll be grounded. And at the end of the day, he was there with, a- with ADL. He's been around ADL and the team long enough to know probably not to say, you know, something crazy. And I don't think what he said was completely wrong. I mean, look, at the end of the day, 10 years ago, you know, you I used to say, you know, one day I hope I have this type of job, right? It didn't happen that summer. It didn't happen the next one. Maybe two, three years later, you come into it. Not everything is right away. And even though he's mentioning it and there's a lot of chatter, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen. I think, you know, he's smart enough to know just from seeing our fan base, just from seeing the attention and praise he receives without having won anything yet for Napoli, that once that is done, that's going to be attributed to him. Like with him winning the Capo Caninieri, that and winning the league, you know, that crown kind of falls on him. It's like, you know, if we didn't have Osiman, do we win the league? Granted, we did great when he wasn't in. But the form that we had when he's healthy can we really replicate that without him? I don't know. So I, I'm not, you know, going crazy because, you know, at the end of the day, I think we need to just, you know, enjoy that we are winning. He has a contract that's till 2026, I believe. You would know better than me. But ADL only sells players that, that want to leave. I don't think that if we achieve this Scudetto this year, and we make noise in the Champions League, wherever that road goes, that he's going to want to not defend. And even if he was to defend and win again, then at that point, if he was to leave, I don't think you could blame him. The amount of money he would get us for winning two leagues in a row and probably being the leading goal scorer two years in a row would be absurd. And uh, it is what it is. I mean, like, look, everyone has goals. You know, every one of these players... The only player on Napoli that grew up dreaming of playing for Napoli is Diego Demme. <laughs> so, you know, these guys have dreams. They grew up just like all of us fans, thinking of, you know, what team they maybe want to go or what league they want to play in and conquer. Victor Osman's extremely young. He's got loads of career in, ahead of him. I think we'll be lucky to have him for another hopefully following this year another season and then after that i think everything's a luxury absolutely so he's actually under contract until 2025 which means he has two seasons left and this is a point that our friend vincenzo bertillo was making with us privately that unless you extend him it's a little bit risky yes you can still sell him between his second last and last season but that's when things get a little bit difficult because then players and agents and all these things, they know that the player gets more leverage if he wants to force a move because he only has a year left. So you can get a club to accept a lower offer for fear that he'll just walk for free after another season. I can understand why people were somewhat upset about these comments. I think 
it would have been very easy for him to say something like, right now I'm focused on this season. There'll be plenty of time to think about the future at the end of the season, or I leave that stuff with my agents. You know, there's kind of these stock responses to those types of questions. That said, as you said, he's only 24 years old. He hardly does interviews because he doesn't speak Italian. He mostly Mm -hmm. just speaks English. So his interview skills are not so refined yet. I also think the context is really important here because a lot, and you know, we were talking about this offline, but a lot of the publications and social media that picked this up, they just focused on one sentence, which was I'm working hard so that I can play in the premier league. And they kind of left out the rest of the context, which was more like right now I'm focused on Serie but the premier league is the best league in the world. And I'd like to play in the Premier League one day, right? It wasn't like there was no agenda here. He didn't come out just out of the blue and make this statement to try to pressure the club to sell him or anything like that. He was specifically asked, like the question was, you've already played in three of the top five leagues. Do you want to play in the Premier League? And I think he was just answering honestly. And unfortunately, just the way it came out and the timing of it, wasn't great and not that i'm blaming the media because that's kind of their job and i'm sure they're having a field day with with this answer but uh, you know it's not a huge shock to us we've all known that's his objective i mean oma katuba who's probably the closest person to victor he's got the most accurate information he's talked about this that he doesn't know when but that's the objective he's talked about manchester united being the team so that's another factor like what if the offer comes from someone like Chelsea and and if they're not in the Champions League, that may mean he stays at Napoli for another season or even United. Maybe they don't make the Champions League. And so even if the offer comes from them, does does he make a move from a Champions League team to a Europa League team? You know, those things will all factor into the decision. But at yeah. the end of the day, elite athletes, they all want to play in the best league. And as much as we love Serie A, and, it, and for us it's the most entertaining, there's no denying that the EPL right now is where all the best players want to be. So I, for me, I'm not too offended by it. I also like Vincenzo's sort of attitude of let's just enjoy the season. <laughs> let's, mm-hmm. let's get the end of it. Let's get this title. And then we can all argue and stress and all these things at the end of the season about who's staying and who's going and you know whether we can uh, turn this into – potentially a little bit of a dynasty. Gianluca, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Yeah, I mean, uh, the only maybe thing I want to just mention in regards to the Premier League is, granted, uh, you know, that is the consensus is the best league, but I've never seen two teams go against each other in City, uh, two top teams, and it's a 7 nothing blowout. <laughs> like, I've never seen that before. Granted, we wiped the floor with Juventus 5-1, but they even got a goal, you know. I guess the one thing I could just say just as a fan and just obviously having my bias and wanting to keep Victor as long as possible, you know, and keep him away from all these, these big money teams. But you throw him on United, it's not like he's going to score seven goals to tie that game. You know, I, I would hope players kind of look at these things in, in this sense. Because, you know, Victor, the one thing I, I will say, or more so with ADL, ADL as an owner, the one thing that he, only thing that he consistently makes errors with is, is his comments. But 
in the way he operates the business, the way he manages the players, he doesn't really make the same mistake twice. He learned from Milik, and that's how he handled Fabian Ruiz, sold him off before it was too late of a situation. Granted, with Insignia and Mertens, they were at the tail end of their career. I don't think he made any bad decision there in how they left. Nothing needs to be said about what we did with the how we were able to get forty million for Kulubali and the state of the team he's on and what we did with that money. I think we win this league. We easily just extend Victor one more season to give him a raise so that uh, I mean further his contract one more year. So making it twenty twenty six, beefing his salary up and then selling him at the end of the following season so that we're not in that, you know, limbo area like you mentioned where the player can gain leverage and we kind of keep him happy with the raise and put us in a position where we have the leverage. So that's best case scenario for me. But in the end, I'm not worried at all this year. I mean, like, I think I'll stick to the team as well as just enjoying it where it's going. You know, we, we're really playing one of the best brands of soccer in Europe right now. We have the most points out of any team in all top five leagues. I think we've also scored the most goals. I could be wrong there. I'm not sure. But this is something that, like, you know, I think even Gaetano might have said it to everyone. Like, uh, he's like, you know, like waking up and like realizing we're rooting for the team that we root for and lose sleep for and lose and lose peace for is just frigging killing it. In every in every which way, so it's tough to focus on the bad when there's so much good. You know, we lost two games in the league, a pointless Champions League match. We got knocked out of Coppa Italia, and at this stage, I'm not a Coppa Italia means nothing guy, but we've won enough here and there in the ADL era. We know what we all want <laughs> at this stage. Yeah, my only regret with the Coppa Italia is I feel bad for the backup team because I, I believe Spalletti when he said that, you know, that was an opportunity for those guys to play. So I, I don't even think that even if like it fine, we got knocked out and yeah, we've, we've won it enough that we don't feel too, too bad about it. And it means we can focus on other competitions, but I feel bad for guys like Ostegaard and Juan Jesus and Diego Dem and Berzinski, all these guys that train just as hard as anyone else. And unfortunately they're not going to see the field as much. My hope is that we just, keep winning so that we have a few spare games at the end of the season and those guys can get some minutes in there. You mentioned the ADL's comments. I won't quote him, but if anyone's looking for a laugh, go look up his comments on how he talked about how we play 50 games this season and just uh, how intense the joy is from those games. Um, I think you'll you'll enjoy that one. <laughs> and one thing I, I kind of wish that players considered which they never do because I think they're just too enticed by the money going back to you know the Osimhen to the EPL thing. I wish they just considered how often those clubs just chew players up and spit them out because the expectation when they pay 100 million euros for a player is that you're going to go in there and you're going to perform from day one. There's much less of a grace period compared to what you might get in uh-huh. Serie A or La Liga or Liga or whatever, the Bundesliga. Down, when you're getting paid that kind of money, you need to perform pretty quickly. I mean, look what happened with Koulibaly, right? He was yeah. a hero for a couple rounds, 
and now he's one of the least liked guys at Chelsea. Yeah, listen, it's a cruel world when you got the most eyes on you. So when you have the most eyes on you, and you have all those expectations, you know, like you said, it's tough. But you know, pride and ego is a crazy thing, right? Every one of these guys, they think I'm the exception, you know, and some of them damn well are. But sometimes, you know, it doesn't work out. Like, look, Chelsea is, you know, we can't pick on Chelsea forever, but we might as well, right? <laughs> look at all these guys that they got, and it's not looking good at all. They scored one goal in February. One goal. That is, I don't even know what to compare that to. It is crazy, you know. That's the team that you know you'd expect to be just running through, running through the competition, and and they're not doing any of that. So it's tough. I don't know if I'm Osimhen, like you even said, he's really young still. There's no rush. Take the year in Italy. It'll make you stronger because. In England, there's the space to run and do all that that you don't have in Italy, and uh, you can thrive there. But I, I think uh, I think you should wait because right now there's all this pressure, especially on United and Chelsea. Whoever they get, if they're not producing right away, it's going to be bad news bears for them. Yeah, well, what did Chelsea spend in January? Like 300 million euros. So. That one goal cost them a lot of money, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. I think, as Vincenzo said, and you sort of reiterated there, let's just enjoy the moment for now, see where we go this season, and then we can think about the future after that. Gianluca, that's all we have time for, but thank you so much for uh, chatting with me. Oh, of course, it's a pleasure. I mean, it's unfortunate I'm here for the second loss of the year, but <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's always a good time uh, chopping it up and talking about the, the team we love. Absolutely. And it was, it's still like no one really seems too worried. So, still a fairly lighthearted uh, feeling around around Napoli after the loss, which is still, I, I keep repeating it, but it's, I'm still not used to this. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how this feels. I, I want to get used to it because I want to think this is going to continue beyond uh, this season. You can find Gianluca on Twitter at Gianluca617. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisket D5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fortsanopoly Pod. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Fortsanopoly Pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help us to continue to produce content both on the show and on the website at fortsanopolypress.com. Alternatively, you can support the show by leaving us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. I will be back with another episode later in the week to preview our next match, which is against Atalanta. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network.